Hey leaders, before we get into this episode, I wanted to tell you about a free event that I'm hosting, your personal leadership audit live workshop. I've put the workshop together because if you want to stand out as an exceptional leader, you have to know yourself inside and out. Understanding your strengths and weaknesses is critical. And for that, you need a high degree of self-awareness and a commitment to self-reflection. Now, if you're committed to unlocking your leadership potential, then working through a self-assessment like this is going to help you to quickly identify a path to higher impact. I'll be leading you through a deep dive into the seven imperatives of my No Bullshit Leadership Framework, so that by the end of the session, you'll know exactly what areas you need to develop if you really want to stand out from the crowd. We're only opening up 150 spots, so register now at yourceomentor.com forward slash workshop. That's yourceomentor.com forward slash workshop. Are you selling a little or a lot? Either way, Shopify helps you do your thing. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. It helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. In fact, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And now you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Most of the business owners who listen to No Bullshit Leadership want to go large. What's so cool about Shopify is that no matter how big you want to grow, it gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash leadership or lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash leadership now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash leadership. Hey leaders, M here. We're finalizing Marty's 2024 speaking calendar and he still has a few opportunities available. Now you've experienced the impact that Marty has on the podcast, but that's only a tiny fraction of the impact that he has when he delivers an in-person keynote presentation. If you'd like to book Marty to speak at your organization's event, go to martingmore.com or send us an email at hello at martingmore.com and we can chat about how to tailor his powerful message to your leaders to achieve real results. All right, now back to the episode. Welcome to the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. In a world where knowledge has become a commodity, this podcast is designed to give you something more. Access to the experience of a successful CEO who has already walked the path. So join your host, Martin Moore, who will unlock and bring to life your own leadership experiences and accelerate your journey to leadership excellence. Hey there, and welcome to episode 199 of the No Bullshit Leadership Podcast. This week's episode, employee engagement. Is it the right measure? In the last 20 years, employee engagement has become the dominant method of understanding and measuring job satisfaction, or JSAT, as it's known in HR lingo. There are a few well-worn engagement surveys from companies like Gallup and Aon Hewitt, which have global reach and lots of historical data that can be used for statistical analysis and benchmarking. 
many companies run an annual engagement survey, and they pay close attention to the results as if it were a key predictor of people performance. Some even reward their leaders based on improvements in this simple metric. Like the net promoter score that purports to be the single most important measure of customer satisfaction, employee engagement purports to be the single most important measure of JSAT, which supposedly translates into performance of your people. Now in this episode, I'm going to dive a little deeper to see what the reality of employee engagement is and whether it really leads to better outcomes from your people. So I'm going to start with a quick overview of employee engagement. What is it? And why is it so popular? I'll then talk about the pitfalls of placing too much stock in an engagement metric. And I'll finish with some ideas for looking at metrics that will better correlate with performance. So let's get into it. Like a lot of leadership cliches, when we hear someone say that employees who are engaged perform better, we nod sagely. Of course they do. It sounds like it should be true, doesn't it? And it has all the nobility of other virtue signals that I spoke about a couple of weeks ago. I want my employees to be happy and engaged because happy workers are productive workers, right? Well, I'm sure you've heard me say before that this is complete bullshit. It may be true, but it's not necessarily true because there's a massive difference between correlation and causation. We all have an idea of what employee engagement is. I do too, but... I figured since I was going to record a podcast episode on the subject, I should do some research on all of our behalf and make sure I'm well enough informed to have a crack at it. So according to Investopedia, employee engagement is a human resources concept. There you go. That's already interesting, right? That describes the level of enthusiasm and dedication a worker feels towards their job. Engaged employees care about their work and about the performance of the company, and feel as though their efforts make a difference. An engaged employee is in it for more than a paycheck, and may consider their well-being linked to their performance and thus instrumental to their company's success. Okie dokie, that's a really good definition, I like that one. I also read an interesting article by Stephen Jolly, and yes, the irony of the name was not lost on me, who went into a little more depth on what it is. He gave a pretty practical and holistic definition of the 12 elements of engagement, which I found quite useful. Jolly's definition goes like this. Employee engagement is described as an emotional commitment an employee has to an organisation. Or simply put, are your employees happy at work and satisfied with your company? Now, I'll leave a link to that article in the show notes if you're interested in exploring it further. But I think the most useful approach is to deconstruct one of the industry standard models for engagement. Since I first came across this for the first time in the form of an Aon Hewitt engagement survey, I'll take a closer look at that one. This model has six dimensions that contribute to engagement. Work, people, opportunities, total reward, company practices, and quality of life. Now, overall, this is a pretty good fly over the top of the things that make a difference to people's JSAT. The crucial link, and the place where I get a little lost, is the belief that the things that make people happy are the same things that motivate them to perform. And furthermore, that this motivation actually translates into better outcomes, but more on this shortly. Just think of it this way. 
imagine a business where the workforce was well-paid, that offered total job security to its people, demanded little, satisfied every request for resources, allowed its people to take time off whenever they wanted so that their work-life balance was about life, not work, and whose leaders pandered to their employees every whim. Now, understandably, you can end up with a pretty high engagement score. But how do you reckon that would work out for performance? All right, let's talk about some of the dangers and pitfalls of measuring employee engagement. The first is oversimplifying the measure. Now, this is a problem with any sort of testing, but a lot can be lost in the averages. If you use a single score and say, our company has global best practice engagement because we have an overall engagement score of 78%, well, okay, that's one thing, but remember the metaphor of the statistician who had his head in a lit oven and his feet in a bucket of ice, who said, you know, on average, I feel pretty good. If you don't drill down to the lower level components, you may draw all the wrong conclusions. I had a close friend in the organisational behaviour field who taught me a very important lesson about engagement. She once shared an anecdote with me about a client who just completed an employee engagement survey. Now, this organisation was truly bottom of the barrel when it came to performance, efficiency and customer service. But it managed to post a really high engagement score. So she drilled down on this by confidentially interviewing a number of employees and eventually the picture became crystal clear. One person said to her, Why wouldn't I be engaged? This is the best job I've ever had by a mile. I'm really well paid. I earn way more than I could in any other job in this city for my level of experience and education. The boss is never on my back. In fact, since we brought in self-managing teams, I'm essentially my own boss. If I'm ever tired on a shift, I can just have a sleep in the crib room. In fact, when we're on night shift, we each take turns to rotate through and rest up. I've got total job security, and if I'm ever a little low on cash, I can just work some overtime hours at higher wage rates to get some quick money. Now think about this for a moment in terms of how the employees feel about the company. Being overpaid will boost the score for the total rewards dimension of the engagement model. Unrivaled job security will boost the score for the quality of life dimension. Autonomy without consequences will boost the score for the work dimension. Access to seemingly unlimited resources will boost the score for the company practices dimension. And leaders who stay away and don't demand anything will boost the score for the people dimension. These scores could easily outweigh and swamp other elements of the survey that may be a little bit more indicative of performance. Of course you're going to get a high employee engagement score, but the performance of that business would be appalling, as it was in this case. Another issue is that employee engagement measures the mood of the employees you have, not the ones you might want or need. Let me give you an example of this. Several times in my career, I was brought into a company to change the culture and performance of one of its divisions. And of course, in CS Energy, it was to change the whole company. Often, an underperforming business is characterised by underperforming people. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm talking about the leaders here, not the rank and file employees. 
people will generally do what leaders allow them to do. So in my view, any problem in any business is a leadership problem. To make any change in a team like that, though, you have to disrupt the status quo. Now, this isn't always viewed favorably by the people who have well-paid, secure, undemanding jobs, particularly when you stop accepting the dog-ate-my-homework excuses that people are used to trotting out for this perennial underperformance. Accountability and empowerment are key to execution excellence. And for the people who hang around long enough to see the outcomes of this, they reap the benefits, both personally and as a team. But for those who want to spend every waking minute protecting the status quo and subverting the change, they may view it very differently. An organisation whose culture is very dependent, avoidant, approval-based, perfectionistic and conventional is almost always going to return a low employee engagement score. And as you push to improve performance, push these people through change and remove the unwilling, those scores are going to drop even further. But without the process of change, the organisation is doomed to fail eventually. Lifting a team to embrace a constructive high-performance culture will be hated by the wrong people, the ones who created the problem and are happy to stay inside the problem because they don't know any better, or they're afraid of change, or they're just simply too comfortable. But the right people will love it. So how do you look at the engagement of the right people rather than the engagement of the wrong people? It's almost impossible, but it's a really interesting intellectual exercise if you want to consider it. One other key drawback that I should mention when you focus on employee engagement scores is that it may promote the wrong leadership response, particularly if it's financially rewarded in KPIs. Remember, what gets measured gets managed, and what gets rewarded gets done. Rewarding leaders for improving engagement is almost like saying, take the pressure off your people, don't upset them, just make them happy. If they're happier this time next year than they are now, we'll pay you a bonus. Now, in my humble opinion, this is probably one of the most misaligned targets that can be implemented in a performance incentive system. So if anyone in HR is listening, have a think about that one. You may end up with really happy people who work for a company that is doomed to fail. Okay, so you can see me leaning away from employee engagement as the score we should all be chasing. But what are the better ways to work out what's really going on? Well, in my view, it's much more about culture than it is about engagement. As we've seen from some of the examples I've already used, you can be engaged in a good culture or you can be engaged in a bad culture. And culture is the much more dominant predictor of long-term performance and success. We use the word as a throwaway all the time, but what is culture? It's the shared norms and expectations that govern the way people approach their work and interact with each other. In simple terms, it's just the way we do things around here. But culture can be measured very quantitatively and scientifically. I was always a big fan of the human synergistic suite of culture measurement tools. It starts by defining your ideal culture. Now this is, as much as anything else, capturing the values that you wish the organisation to uphold. I actually did a podcast episode on values in one of my very early attempts. It was episode 10, 
are corporate values meaningless? Now, you've probably got the drill now on how to find episodes in the back catalogue, but just in case you want to go back, you can access it easily at yourceomentor.com forward slash episode 10. One thing that's really important to understand about culture is that there is no one culture in an organisation. In some organisations I've been in charge of, there have been dozens of different cultures depending on the location, the function, and most importantly, the leader. What culture does that leader create? Because it's most dependent on the one who's running the show for that team. Now that we have work from home and hybrid work, you could find hundreds of different cultures in an organisation simply because people do things differently depending on their location. And if people don't experience that strong leadership that gives very clear guidelines for the values and behaviours that need to be observed, then you're going to get massive variation. So just as with employee engagement, you've got to be really careful of what you lose in the averages. To say, we've just done a culture survey and our culture is excellent, okay, that's fine. But in some teams, it will be really excellent, and in other teams, it will be woeful. So you don't want to lose that in the averages. Now, in the human synergistics model, there are 31 causal factors that drive your operating culture. If there's a discrepancy between your ideal culture and the operating culture you have, looking at these causal factors will help you to work out what needs to be improved. These causal factors are separated into five broad categories. So the first category, mission and philosophy. This is the extent to which the organisation has successfully defined its identity and values to its people, how clearly these are articulated, and their focus with respect to key stakeholders like customers. These causal factors are a direct outcome of leadership, quality and performance. The second group of causal factors is structures. This refers to the ways in which people, roles and activities are established to create the organisation. How do these structures permit or restrict influence, empowerment and employee involvement? And the causal factors in the structure category are a direct outcome of leadership quality and performance. The third category is systems. These are the interrelated sets of procedures that an organisation uses to support its core activities and to solve problems, including performance appraisal and reinforcement and goal-setting systems. Now, these causal factors are a direct outcome of leadership quality and performance. The fourth category is technology. This is predominantly about job design characteristics and the degree of interdependence among people. And these causal factors are a direct outcome of leadership quality and performance. The final category for these causal factors is skills and qualities. This is the skills and qualities exhibited in terms of communication, leadership and sources of power. Now these causal factors are a direct outcome of leadership quality and performance. Has anyone picked up on the common theme here yet? How well your organisation performs is directly linked to its culture, the way we do things around here. And that is dependent upon leadership. As we know, leadership drives culture, culture drives performance. Let's just finish off by looking at the core question again. Is employee engagement the right measure? Well, it's a measure. 
and it can tell you some stuff, right? So don't get me wrong. But I'm much more interested in what's going on with the culture. A high engagement score doesn't always give you better performance. In fact, there are times when it delivers appalling performance. Engagement doesn't really give you the full picture. Your people can be highly engaged in a constructive high-performance culture, and that's going to be a predictor of true long-term success. Or on the other hand, they can be highly engaged in a poor culture, where failure and mediocrity in the long term are virtually guaranteed. It starts with you and the leaders below you. If the chief executive isn't committed to doing the work to create a strong culture, then finding a leader below that who will go out on a limb to do it is extremely rare. Leadership is everything. And if you simply pander to the whims of your people, you may end up getting a high employee engagement score and, hey, you might even get paid a bonus but you will never see your team perform. All right, so that brings us to the end of episode 199. Thanks so much for joining us. And remember, at Your CEO Mentor, our purpose is to improve the quality of leaders globally. So please share this episode with your leadership network. It may completely change someone's perspective on the relationship between engagement and culture and performance. I'm really looking forward to next week's episode because it's our 200th. So we'll have a little surprise for you. Until then, I know you'll take every opportunity you can to be a no-bullshit leader. 